Good morning and welcome to More Than A Few Words, a marketing conversation for small business owners. MTFW is a production of Roundpeg where we help small businesses become big businesses. And this morning, I am talking with Allison Carter. Good morning, Allison. Good morning. And we are going to do an entire show talking about content. We're going to talk about how to create content that attracts people, that attracts search engines. This is a show we had planned for quite a while, but I, I think in all fairness, I can say that we are definitely going to have some conversations influenced by um, our recent participation at Blog Indiana. Absolutely. Coming out of Blog Indiana, which for those of you who aren't familiar, is a uh, blogging and internet marketing conference here in Indianapolis. And one of the major themes to come out of that conference was the idea of it's all about sharing great content and what a powerful tool that can be for uh, prospecting and conversion both. And so as we're having this conversation, um, for those of you that are following the call, the call not only on more than a few words, but are following it on Twitter, be sure to use the hashtag pound MTFW. And you can join the conversation. You can also call in with questions at 805-285-9865. And we also have a chat window open on the Blog Talk radio site. So let's go ahead and kick this off because, Allison, your whole job is about building content. That is what I do all day. So, for any business owner, I put up a website. It was fine. It was SEO'd in 2010. Why do I need content? Well, quote, it was SEO'd in 2010. You might have had rankings that were good for a little while. SEO, the thing that people don't get is that SEO is an ongoing, living, breathing process. It's not something you do once and you're done with and you're good forever. Because when you reach the top of the rankings, everybody's still running to catch up to you. You might have reached the finish line in your mind, but everyone else is still trying to catch you and overtake you. So you can't stop, or they will pass you, and you'll find yourself back on page six where you originally were. And so how does content, for people that don't understand that, how does having a new blog post help help that? Having new content on your site consistently gives the search engines, they send, it, it all sounds very creepy and matrixy when we talk about it, they send what are called spiders or crawlers to your website. And they basically take a look at your website, figure out what is this website about? What is it talking about? What important information is here? If someone is looking for something on the internet through whatever search engine they're representing, what questions will be answered if they come to this website? And so that's what you're trying to tell Google or whatever search engine when you promote new content. You're giving them a reason to come back, giving them a reason to take another look at your site, and you're also helping to answer more people's questions and helping people find new paths to your website. And I think that um, it's like a balanced scale because on the one side, you have to write to catch the attention of the search engines. You want to have keywords in your content. But on the other hand, your content has to be readable because real people are going to come too. Yeah, it used to be, and it still is among some practitioners of um, content marketing and search engine optimization, that they would do what we call keyword stuffing. And keyword stuffing can take a couple of different forms. It can be something as, um, as simple as dumping a bunch of words at the bottom of, of a 
of a website page and just say, come to us for all of your Indianapolis carpet and Indianapolis shopping and Indianapolis SEO and just using a whole bunch of vague keywords that you're hoping Google will see those and think that you rank highly on. That's one form of keyword stuffing. The second form is to do this in content. And so, for instance, to say, when we talk about Indianapolis marketing, typically we're talking about Indianapolis marketing companies who only offer one kind of marketing. Here in Indianapolis, and so it's just a matter of repeating those keywords over and over again ad nauseum, and it doesn't sound natural, it doesn't sound human, and for any person who actually, let's say it works, let's say that Google doesn't catch you and penalize you, when a real human being comes to the site, because that Google has said this will answer your question, and they see that content, it's not going to make them want to convert. They're going to wonder what's wrong with you and what kind of brain damage you've, you've suffered to write like that. And it's, um, I see this, and, and, and we've run into this a lot, and I will not name the company that does this, but we see this a lot on law firm websites. Oh, my goodness gracious, yes. And um, we see content that over and over again focuses in on a very specific keyword, but when you read the actual services page, the lawyers sound like idiots. Yeah, it's amazing. You have all of these people with advanced degrees, people who are very literate, articulate, who make their money by being proficient with words and being able to argue a case, who are suddenly reduced to repeating the same sentence over and over again like a broken speak and say. And I really, um, I think if, if, if business owners walk away with one takeaway from this conversation, I think the idea is, if you write content for human beings talking about things that your customers are interested in, the search engines will find you. Well, the other great fallacy of search engine optimization is that only those keywords that you're targeting matter. It's this idea that, you know, oh, I want to be on page one for Indianapolis widgets and Indianapolis services and whatever else is important to you. But the fact of the matter is that Blog Indiana, Doug Carr had a great presentation, not surprising, um, talking about just how many people come from long-tail keywords, things that people haven't searched before, things that you haven't thought about, because people search using natural language. They don't always search in the ways that we're thinking of when we're doing keyword analysis. So by only focusing on a very narrow list of keywords, you're missing out on a huge group of people. You know, the um, I started thinking about this, because I've heard Doug talk about some of this long-tail stuff before, and I started thinking about just the way I search. And, you know, in the early days of, of Google, you had to do a word plus a word or words in quotes to kind of narrow your search to really get to exactly what you're looking for. But now, every time I get on Google, I just type in the most random questions, and I get much better results because I'm more specific. And a lot of people do search in questions. Do you remember Ask Jeeves? I certainly do. I think Ask.com right now, I think it's still around, but it was a search engine whose whole idea was you did type in a question. And I think that when, when we're seeing such a movement towards, let's say, things like Siri, I mean, that's all about searching using natural language. You wouldn't say, Siri, show me an Indianapolis roofing company. You know, Siri, Indianapolis roofing. You would say, Siri, I need a new roof. Except Siri doesn't understand me half the time. You have a very confusing accent. <laughs> yeah. Automated phone trees don't understand you either. No, they don't. Um, but, they, but Siri is getting better. She now can call my husband most of the time. It's getting there. But, but 
the bottom line is that it's, uh, search is moving far and away away from these kind of stilted Frankenstein-ish sentences. And as Google gets smarter and smarter, and as Google knows more about us, we don't even need to be as geographically constrained when we're searching for something because Google knows where we are. Absolutely. So I think you know the the whole shift is really moving towards um, more content. I think as you're putting more content on your site, there are still things that you can do creatively to make it more attractive to search engines without impeding the uh, user experience. Absolutely. There is, there is nothing wrong with incorporating those keywords, and, and you should be doing keyword research. You should make sure that you're writing about things that people are searching about. You should be doing your homework and working with great SEO companies, which we're not one of them. For, for more information on SEO, you're going to want to talk to the good people over at Deep Ripples. You're going to want to talk to our friends at DK New Media. You're going to want to talk to Slingshot SEO. But the bottom line is you can incorporate those smartly without losing the integrity of the content. Because that, if you have a piece of content that is optimized beautifully and searches really well, but like we said, it reads like it was written by a blithering idiot, two things aren't going to happen. A, it's not going to convert. People are going to think that you look like an idiot and not going to call you or do what you want them to. And B, it's not going to be shared. And social signals are increasingly becoming an important part of SEO as well. Absolutely. Whether it's G+, or Twitter, or Facebook, when somebody finds good content and they share it, it creates additional visibility. Um, I know that Google is no longer indexing Twitter, but they're in talks again, though. And, and I, I think you have to almost behave as if they're all going to be connected, because from time to time, they are, they're not, they are, they're not. Um, if you behave as if they always were, you will have a much stronger presence out there in general. Um, but one of the things I was uh, kind of going back on that idea of optimizing. Now, we build in WordPress, so it's easy using a tool like Yoast to go in and identify keywords. But regardless of, I think, whatever tool you're using, I always like the strategy of write the content first. Have a keyword in mind, mm -hmm. but write the content the way, tell the story the way you want to tell it. Mm -hmm. And then go back and look at, is there an opportunity to change one or two words to make it perform better without changing the real meaning? That is one strategy. It's not typically one that I use um, because I, I personally tend to think that it, it sounds like that's exactly what you've done. I think that it tends to make the keyword sound a little tacked on. So I would prefer to know the keyword going in so that while I'm writing the post, I can look for natural ways to incorporate that instead of going back afterwards and say, crap, i got to put this thing here somewhere. So, but that's just a difference of opinion. There isn't a right or wrong way to do it. It's all just a matter of what works better for you. But I think the point is, and the thing I think we really will agree on, is tell the story the way it needs to be told. Um, if you create a great story, there will be natural links and natural searches that will that will come back to it. Well, and not every blog post needs to have that narrowly defined keyword in it. Um, Jay Bear had a great presentation at Blog Indiana about being a utility for people, about helping people find information related to your field, but perhaps not even all that related to your field. He gave a great example of uh, was it Hilton. Yes. Well, Hilton was one good example where Hilton was one Hilton hotels. They have a team. They have actually people all throughout the country at all of their hotels. They've used their social media monitoring software to set up searches for people asking 
what's the best place to eat in Houston? What should I do when I'm in Rochester? And when people at their hotel see these questions, they respond. And they respond as human beings from the Hilton, whatever the Hilton account is. And they say, oh, you need to make sure that you eat at this place, or you absolutely shouldn't miss the Science and Industry Museum, or whatever the case may be. There's no selling, no pushing, but at the same time, they're establishing themselves as an expert in their field. They're getting on people's radar screen, and they're buying tremendous amounts of goodwill. And so the next time somebody's in that town, they're more likely to do it. Now, Hilton's you know, a much bigger company, and they have um, all of these tools and resources, but even a small business could do something very, very sim similar. A local bed and breakfast could add a section to their website that was simply things to do in Indianapolis. And so they would come up on a search um, when you're typing in things to do in Indianapolis, and they can find this whole section of local restaurants, local theater, local art, all housed within a local B&B's website. And so again, it's not about their rooms, it's not about their, you know, come stay with us, but if you keep going back to this website for things to do when you're vacationing here, there's a chance you're going to pick up the telephone and say, hey, your B&B looks kind of cool. Absolutely. Or when you have guests, if you're a local looking at that site, when you have guests coming into town suggesting that they stay there. So I think that that's one of the things that it's often a little difficult for business owners to wrap their head around. Why would I want to talk about things that don't have to do with me? It's my website. It should all be about me. No one, you know, we've all been to networking events where we meet people who only talk about themselves, who all they want to do is blabber about whatever new thing they're doing, and it's deathly boring. Websites are exactly the same way. People want to hear about content interesting and useful to them, which might not always have to do with you. But if you can wind it back around, if you can provide a service, if you can prove that you're trustworthy and not always promoting your own agenda, it's tremendously powerful. And I think um, the other side of that is, is, you know, again, you become kind of the resource of bigger picture. You're, you're knowledgeable about a range of things that are interesting to your customers. And you can also, at the same time, use that same information, again, to attract relevant searches. Absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things you talked about at Blog Indiana, and I think this is, again, it's that line between content for people and content for search engines. Mm -hmm is the growing importance of adding images to your content. Uh, adding images to your content, whether that's blog content, social media content, whatever it may be, is tremendously important. And on your blog, it's important for two reasons. First, it's more fun to read when you have pictures. It's more fun to experience your content when there are things that you can see, when there's a chart illustrating the point, when there's a picture of whatever it is that you're talking about, people like and respond to the pictures. 60% of all people in this world are visual learners. So by ignoring that aspect of it, you're leaving out the majority of people. The other thing that's important is that when properly titled and with great descriptions, those pictures are going to show up not just on the Google image search tab, but increasingly those images are showing up right in the search engine results page for web searches because Google understands the power of those images. So even if you're in an incredibly competitive field, if you title images correctly, you can still get on page one of Google, even if your text link is down on page 12. We actually have had a lot of success with kind of a quirky keyword because of an image that's been on our website for several years. The um, 
marketing work chart, this was a throwaway blog post for me 40 years ago. I needed content. I put up a short little post. I was influenced by something I found on someone else's website, created a graphic, and suddenly we started showing up in search. And every single day, and this is four years now, we still get traffic around the same terms. We've added additional posts. We've added additional graphics that have that same name because people search that term. Right, and it has to determine that's valuable for us. People come to us because we're a utility on this source. Um, the really amazing thing is people don't understand how important image search is. And obviously, the number that I'm going about that I'm about to tell you is going to vary for each and every website, depending on how many pictures you have and how you're titling them. 38% of all of our search engine traffic comes from Google image searches. 38, so more than a third of all of the people who are finding us are finding us because of a picture that we took the time to select title and to write a description around. And it doesn't take but a couple of minutes. All that you have to do is make sure that you're not letting pictures go up with the title JPEG 174. All it takes is just a couple of seconds to tell people what it is. Now what you don't want to do, don't give misleading titles. Don't title your images things that they are not. Make sure that whatever the image is, whatever you're titling it, however you're optimizing it, it's going to answer people's questions. It's going to be what they want when they search for that key term. If you try to game the system, people won't click on it and you'll look like a fool. Well, or people will click on it and they will click away. The idea that this is just a numbers game, that if you just drive traffic, sooner or later someone will bite, it's becoming more and more apparent that that doesn't work. Look at your bounce rate. Look at how quickly people come and go, and you know you're not providing good content. The measure of providing good content is when you start to see time on site increase, average number of page views increase. When the average person comes on your website and spends 20 seconds, you're not providing good content, you're not creating connections that will result in sales long term. And that's the bottom line. Once you've got this great content, you've got to make sure, and you've got people coming to your site for this content, you've got to do something with it. It doesn't do you any good if it's just sitting there twiddling your thumbs and people come and read it and say, oh, that's nice, and then surf away. And we are actually, we're experimenting with lots of different conversion tools, um, offering people opportunities to sign up for our newsletter, offering them downloads, offering them more information. I, I frequently tell customers that having a website where you drive them to just your home page, you're driving to one page of text with nothing else to do when they get there is like sending them into a store where all of the dresses are simply pictures painted onto the walls, but you can't try on anything. You can't match it with a pair of shoes because you can't take it down off the wall. Is your website that kind of store? It may search really well. The search engines are pointing all the people to you but they may not stay and engage with you, and then you've sort of wasted that search traffic. So I think that that is something that, that I would be interested, actually, because, again, at Blog Indiana, we heard so much about 
create good content, create good content, you know, build it and they will come kind of thing. But I think that, you know, build it and they will come, yeah, but you still got to put on a baseball game. You know, you still got to have something to do once they're there. It's not just enough to make good content. And the next step is figuring out what conversion strategy is going to turn those window shoppers into money in your sale. The, uh, I think the biggest mistake that a lot of companies make, both um, that are using content to drive search as well as those that are using PPC mm -hmm. to drive search, is they drive people to a static website, they, a static page, or they drive people, worse yet, just to their home page, mm -hmm. and there's nothing to do when they get there. No. You want to be as targeted as possible. So, for instance, if Make sure that if you're offering an offer, if you're offering a download on a particular page, if you're offering to sign up for your newsletter, make it as specific and targeted as possible. So for instance, for us, if we are doing a blog post on social media, at the bottom we might have a conversion form that doesn't just offer sign up for our newsletter, sign up just to receive our social media updates. Segment those lists. Make it specific conversion points. If someone's looking at your website on a page about three things you need to ask a roofing contractor before you have them build your roof, make that conversion form, um, you know, different things about buying a new roof. You don't want it to be about repairing an existing roof. Make it, you know, seven things you need to know about shingles or whatever the case may be. Make it relevant to the content. Don't just cast a wide net. You can be very, very laser focused. The days of, hey, sign up for our newsletter are over. I've been doing email newsletters for 10 years now. And I will tell you that 10 years ago, a button on your website that said, hey, you can get our update was great. People thought it was cool. It showed up in my email box. Isn't this neat? Today, we are inundated with email. And unless you give me a very specific reason, unless you promise very relevant targeted content, you're not getting my email address. Oh no. You're, uh, and I am amazed as I talk with clients and they're like, well we've had that sign up button on our website and nobody's signing up. And I'm like, well that's because you're just offering to flood their stream and you're not really telling them what they're going to get. You're not telling them how often they're going to get it. You're not telling them what the content is going to be about. And you're not giving them reassurance that if they're not happy, they can go away. Absolutely. You know, I, I have to share this story. It's, it's fascinating. People, you know, we all give out our email address so often. I was at a shoe store recently, and I bought a pair of shoes. And they said, well, you'll get 5% off if you sign up for our email list. I'm like, good deal. You know, 5% off, and I'll just unsubscribe from it later. Excellent. So I do, and I buy my lovely shoes, and I go about my day, and I get an email from this company. I'm like, oh, here it is. I don't want to receive these. I'm going to opt out. This is a national chain. It's a brand that you would have heard of. There was no unsubscribe button in that email. I looked. I had Peter. I called Peter over and asked him to look and make sure I was not missing something. There was none unsubscribe link to be found. Oh. So to get out of their list, I had to report them for spam because that was the only way that I could get out of the list. Wow. Yeah. Even though I had permission opted in, they did not give me a legal way to get out, so I had to say that they were spammers because in that moment they were. They are actually breaking federal law. Absolutely. The, I mean, and that's the, you know, that's the thing is that um, when I when I download something, when I you know want to view content, or I give you my email, I know that I'm signing up mm -hmm. for a limited period of time for you to message me. It's really important not just to provide me good content in the download, 
But that first email after the download really has to be relevant. And I think too often companies drift immediately into sales mode with that first email. I haven't really signed up for your sales pitch yet. I've signed up for more information. Absolutely. And that first email so sets the tone for the rest of that relationship. If that first email that I get is all hard sell, hard sell, hard sell, by now, by now, that's really going to turn me off. And I'm probably either going to unsubscribe or not open your email ever again. I think there's a great illusion both in um, email marketing and, and social media in general, this attitude that if I said it, you heard it. <laughs> and I am amazed at how many people essentially are standing in the middle of the room talking to themselves. If you want people to pay attention, it has to be about them and not about you, and it has to be about things they're interested in. And I know this is heartbreaking, whether it's content for your website, for your newsletter, for social media. I know it's heartbreaking, but sometimes people aren't really interested in you. I thought the world was all about me. Yeah, uh -huh, but that was last week. <laughs> no, but the bottom line is you got to get out of your own head. You have to remember it's, it's not about you. It's about finding your customer's pain and telling them how a problem can be solved. And you might not be the solution to that problem. It might be something else, but by, by earning their trust, by showing them that you're about helping them find the best solution, even if that's not with you, you're earning their trust. And so even if you are not their solution, it might be their friend's solution. The, the idea with all of this is a steady stream of content, that you've got to give people um, opportunities to get to know you, to get to know you for themselves, for their friends. The steady stream of content keeps the search engines coming back time and time again. The quality of the content keeps the people coming back. Yes. And as you're, you know, and we were looking at this recently, um, whether it's your email newsletter or your RSS feed, getting people to subscribe to your RSS feed, they may not be coming back to your website, but they are seeing your content regularly, and they're not going to sign up for your RSS feed if the first time they come, it's a jumbled mess of stuffed keywords. Be a person. That's what it all boils down to. If you're a person, people do business with people that they like, and eventually if you can earn that trust, you'll get the business. Awesome. Well, we are almost out of time. Last thoughts, anything else that people should consider as they're looking to create content? How often? I'm not gonna, no, 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 no. I'm not going to give any hard and fast rules. As often as you can produce great content, and, and what great means for you is going to be different. But if you can produce a great blog post every day, if you can produce something that people want to share and want to talk about every day, then you rock out with your bad self. If you can only manage that once a week, then good for you, so long as it's that sterling content. There are no hard and fast rules. Every business is different. Absolutely. And I also think the thing that people don't always realize is content builds. That the longer you are providing this content, the more you have content on your website, each additional post becomes, actually is boosted by all the content beforehand. 
The Rapid blog is, is almost four years old. We have over 2,000 blog posts. And though people aren't reading all of those posts every day, on a regular basis we see people finding some of those older articles being introduced to Roundpeg through some of that older content. So um, we still do produce a lot of new content every week, but we have that foundation that helps um, boost us as well. And so it is, this is something you're buying into for the long haul if you get into a content strategy. Don't expect to see massive results overnight. It's going to take time. It's going to take dedication. And again, if you want instant traffic, if you want people to your site fast, do pay-per-click. If you're interested in building a foundation for the long haul, something that's not going to disappear with something that's not going to disappear when you turn off the money tap, then content marketing is a long-term investment in your company's future. Awesome. Okay, this is kind of fun. Absolutely. For those of you that have enjoyed the program, if you would like to learn more about marketing, networking, social media, and cats, because we do talk about cats from time to time, be sure to check out our blog at www roundpeg.biz. This has been another episode of More Than a Few Words. Thanks for listening.